0: You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. You may seated. Thank you, Aaron. Thanks for leading us in looking at the Lord's prayer in Matthew 6. Wow, well, there's a A whole lot in this passage. Um, I was joking with Logan earlier in the week. Maybe he was joking with me. (laughs) Um, There there wasn't as much theology in the text that I gave him to preach. And I'm like, good luck. This is God's word. And he did great. And here I got him back at it. And man, (laughs) this text is deep. There is a ton here. One would wonder could there be three or four sermons? The answer is absolutely, 100%. Um, But I'm taking it in this big chunk. And so uh, we are continuing in our sermon series, uh, The World Turned Upside Down. And the question that I was thinking about earlier as I was preparing to preach to you all is, you ever wonder, what is the role of the church? Like, you all show up and we sing together, and we hear the word preached, and we participate in the Lord's table, and other things are happening. We have community groups, of course. You ever wonder, like, what's the point? Like, why not, in normal times, say, find a community at a gym? Right, pick your venue. There's lots of different types of community. Why the local church? This, this text gives us a lot of answers. And I'm hoping to fill that out for you this evening. Why are you here right now, sitting here? It's a daunting text. Let me just pray briefly, and then I'm just going to get into it. And hopefully we're encouraged, and we, that why question is alleviated by the time I'm done. Father, we thank you for your word. It is for us. You have revealed yourself through Christ, the word, and now we read the word. And so we need your help. I need your help, desperately. pray this all in Christ's name. Let me uh, allow you into the Powers house for just a moment. I'm going to kind of tell you something that Sharice knows full well about Sean Powers. Um, I'm a really emotional guy. Um, if you know me well enough, you might, you might be like, okay, I know you. You're emotional. I get it. But over, over the years, like, <laughs> I have cried tears of joy, hurt, pain, disappointment. Some of you uh, might be the same, Right? Uh, I've cried over the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. I've cried over the Lord's resurrection. Um, I've cried over just pleading for his second coming. Like, this has this this actually happened recently at the Powers House where um, everyone had gone to bed and I'm just sitting on my couch and like, I'm in tears downstairs praying and pleading with God. And Sharice told me the next morning, he's like, I, I heard you crying and I wasn't even gonna come. It was like 11 p.m. and just, something just, come over me I was just in tears and just praying and so I've pleaded with God with tears going down my face even over that even over things like that he would show his mercy on grace on those who don't know him the lost it's interesting uh, a bit of a paradox here like I don't like romantic comedies because I know at the end I'll probably end up crying (laughs) I'm not trying to make myself out to be some like, you know, super saint who cries over theology, right? Or conversely, like an unstable fool who detaches from truth because of emotion. No, um, you know, God has wired me in such a way where my emotions, generally speaking, it's like kind of on my sleeve. You're going to know kind of where I'm at and whether I'm in a good mood or a bad mood just by like interacting with me for five seconds. You're going to know real quick. As a dude who is emotional at least more emotional than other guys and wives, don't be elbowing your husbands right now. Why aren't you emotional? No. God has wired me in a particular way, but I, I do sympathize with the tears that we read about in this passage. The tears we read about in this passage are, are real. Uh, the author of, of Acts, Luke, wants us to see the tears of Paul are connected to a truth that runs deep and wide in his soul. Here's where we see tears in this passage. Verse 17, Paul served the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. Now that's an interesting way to describe ministry, right? We have humility, yeah, makes sense. Uh, we have trials and tears. Verse 31, for, for three years, Paul warned, taught, and admonished pastors in the city of Ephesus, right? And he did so, it says, with tears. Why? Paul wanted them to stay true to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like, guys, this is what life is all about. And just, just picture it with tears going down his face as he pleads. Verse 37 Paul is about to leave Ephesus for Jerusalem and we read right before Paul is about to depart what does it say everyone's weeping everyone not a dry eye in the group Like, verse 37 reminds me of the time that I uh, went away to college in the year 2000, and and, uh, as I drove away, uh, five minutes uh, away from my parents' home, my mom was crying, and I was crying. It was just five minutes away, right? But we were crying because relationships were severed to some degree. Now, unlike my mom and I, Paul was not going back to Ephesus. He had seen his Ephesian friends for the last time, verse 38. Everyone knew it. To say that they were sorrowful, as it says in our text, would be an understatement. So Paul shows up in Ephesus talking about the tears that he has shed for the God. Gone- he leaves Between the tears, Paul has something to communicate to these elders in Ephesus. He's got something to say. Paul has already spent a considerable amount of time teaching these men what it means to live the Christian life. He also taught these particular men what it means to be a leader in the local church. In particular, it says, to be an elder. The last words of Paul, the last words that he has to say before these relationships are just severed, they appear to be some of the most significant words that he could say to them. It's like, I'm about to leave. I'm never going to see you again. Here are my final words. From a, like a macro perspective, like a, a big picture perspective, Paul is continuing to teach about the kingdom of God, verse 25. You might recall, I began this sermon series about a year and a half ago now focusing on the advancement of the kingdom of God. The theme of the kingdom of God is a thread that reemerges over and over again throughout our journey in Acts. It's what connects Acts 1 with Acts 28. Talk about the kingdom of God, talking about the kingdom of God. Here's the big idea about the kingdom of God is as a way of reminder, and then we'll look at kind of the micro view, uh, the details of the text. Whenever you bump into the phrase, kingdom of God, you should remind yourself of what God is doing in creation. is what God is doing. Whenever you bump into the phrase kingdom of God, you should remind yourself the Bible is not talking about your kingdom. Whenever you bump into the phrase, the kingdom of God, you should remind yourself of God's mission, God's plan, God's purposes. God is at work, and you, Christian, you, Christian, have the privilege to join God in his mission, not the other way around. If there's anything we have learned in the book book of Acts, it is this. God is at work at every turn. He's at work. uh, Using the theater as an example, like watching a play at a theater, We have seen that God is like the stagehand helping to move the story along between scenes. God is the director. He's like coordinating and directing the movement of every actor. God is the producer. He is the one who steps back and sees the big picture of the entire story. He is the author. Before there were ever stagehands, actors, a director, a producer, God is the one who wrote the story into existence, the book of Acts written by God has helped us to see that the story is about God's kingdom on earth, his kingdom. And I'm taking a moment to focus on the advancement of God's kingdom again because too often, and I'm guilty of this, too often we focus on our own puny kingdoms. It's why we see kingdom of God Um, Reemerged throughout the book of Acts. It's a reminder. This is what God is doing. It's not about Sean Powers. Um, We can be more concerned with advancing our own agenda with little to no concern for what God wants to do in us and through us. And again, I'm guilty. I need the reminder. Like when you woke up in the morning, were you more concerned, were your, were your actions and thoughts more concerned with what you had to do for the rest of your day or were your thoughts and actions directed toward God, right? I mean, that's a litmus test. I know I had a, re- when I was going over this sermon this morning and I, and I read that part, I'm like, oh man, guilty again. we desperately try to become the author and the main focus of God's story in God's kingdom. So we have to resist the temptation to write ourselves into portions of scripture where God is the main focus. God's mission is the main point of the story. So that is the, remind, that is the overlay of all the details that we're about to talk about. It's the macro view of what's going on. Paul is drawing our attention once again to the kingdom of God. The micro view, micro view, the details that we read about in this passage do not or will not apply if you're more concerned with your own kingdom, right? If you are more concerned about you than God, then kind of the rest of the sermon is a moot. However, however, if your desire is to see God's kingdom advance in your own heart, in your life, in your family, in this church, in your community, then we actually have much to learn about how God's kingdom expands from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, from the pew, where you're sitting right now, and into the world. And as we look at this passage from a micro perspective, I'm actually gonna to try to frame it with three particular thoughts that are all connected. Here are these three thoughts. I'm just gonna work through them one at a time. What we read in this passage is the importance of the local church. Like Paul is writing specifically to elders in Ephesus, we need to ask why and what does he say. Second, second thought we're going to talk about is the teachings of the local church in God's kingdom. So, what's why is the local church exist in God's kingdom and it is there with purpose and reason. So, what are the teachings of the church? And then, third, we're going to see the practical mission of the local church in God's kingdom. Again, address these one at a time. Uh, First, the importance of the local church. From a micro perspective, God's kingdom advances. As the good news of Jesus Christ takes hold and transforms sinful and depraved people. You all know that. God's kingdom advances as the Holy Spirit reveals Christ to a dead and stony heart. And then the heart becomes alive because of faith. But here's the deal, folks. God's kingdom advances when people who are formerly dead in their transgressions become alive with faith and then create little communities of faith that become an outpost for the broader community. We call these communities churches. This is the pattern of Acts. The gospel is preached. People are saved and churches are formed. So when I say the church is an outpost, what I'm trying to convey is is that the local church is a place within the broader community where the light of the gospel shines forth. Like, that's what we want to be as a local church, an outpost where the gospel goes forth like light at a lighthouse. Like, I was thinking about that as an analogy Um, We used to live in the Twin Cities, and I'd occasionally go to Duluth and and the western edge of of, um, Lake Superior, which is located in Duluth, Minnesota. There's a bunch of lighthouses, right? I remember going up to Split Rock one time. I was just learning about the purpose of a lighthouse. Well, think about it. Before there was like a GPS, boats were completely reliant on the light that was coming from and beaming forth for miles from that lighthouse. (laughs) or it's going to crash right into The rocks, in the same way the church is a lighthouse, the light of the gospel stretches forth for miles for many to see. That's what we want to be. The light pierces through the darkness, illuminating the way forward. So the church plays an integral part in seeing God's kingdom advance deep into our own lives and wide into our community. From Acts 20, we see God has structured the local church. It has leaders called elders. So if you go to the Redemption Hill Church website, you'll notice that I call myself an elder. Uh, Paul is visiting the local church in Ephesus and the church has multiple elders leading the church. Verse 17. Elders are also called overseers in verse 28. The idea of an elder being an overseer is that elders are to protect and guard the local church. Like, from what? I'll get to that in a moment. But for now, I want you to see that the local church, which is a gospel outpost in God's kingdom, is not a collection of Christians gathering together, but we see that there's actually order, structure Leadership. Now, a collection of Christians gathering together surely is a good thing, right? But there's something unique about the way God has defined the local church, the structure and the order He has given the local church. Paul spent approximately three years in Ephesus preparing these local church elders for his departure, right? Paul's ministry in Ephesus was like aggressive. Here's how Paul describes his ministry in Acts 20, verse 20. He says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Profitable. And teaching you in public and from house to house. You know, I want to have that same disposition that we read about in this particular passage. If there is something profitable to say to you I want to say it, even if what is profitable is unpopular. Paul was going to tell them what is profitable, them for them to hear, even though and this is the case, anytime you're in leadership in any type of capacity, you've got to communicate things that might not be popular all the time. But the question is, is it profitable? Like I said, I have to imagine in the context of Paul, he had a lot of unpopular things that were nonetheless profitable for the Ephesian church to hear even though they may have been unpopular. Also from that particular verse, verse 20, we read Paul was just like crisscrossing the city, teaching about the kingdom of God. And as he taught, God used his words to save and as people were saved, leaders emerged So the local church is important in God's kingdom. It's vital. But what does the local church teach? Now this is a critical question. What does the local church teach? You could get in your car right now, or right after church, and you can drive within a 30-minute radius and encounter all kinds of churches that teach different messages, right? And I'm not talking about style. I'm not talking about if the pastor or minister, you know, wears the robe like they do here, you know, at West Kirk, you know, the pastor wears the robe up there. Or they wear, you know, I wear jeans. I'm not talking about style. I'm not talking about what kind of music's being played, you know, preference of music style. Does he got the piano? Is he strumming the guitar? Uh, what I'm talking about is the substance of what is being communicated. Substance is always more significant than style. What is the substance of what Paul taught What does Paul want the Ephesian elders to teach their local church? What does he want them to pass along? What has brought Paul to tears? Why is he crying and teaching? What is Paul pleading with the Ephesian elders about? The answer to these questions is found in verse 21. If you have your Bible, look at verse 21. It says, Paul is testifying both to the Jew, And to the Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Four times in this entire passage, Paul says he's testifying. If you see words repeated, that's a helpful indication there's something being highlighted. Four times in this passage, he says he's testifying. Paul is basically bearing witness to the Ephesian leaders. I mean, if you are standing around and all of a sudden you observe a crime and then you report the crime, you are actually testifying or bearing witness about the crime. Paul is putting it all on the line saying, guys, this is what really matters in life. Don't be so consumed with all these other things. This is actually what's most important. He is saying, this is what I have seen, and now I am going to tell you. To give you um, an idea of the intensity of the word testify, the Greek root is translated in the English as martyr. So if you kind of distill that word down, that's where we get the word martyr, and you all know what a martyr is. So he is putting it all on the line, preaching about the kingdom of God and training elders with the teaching of the kingdom of God, realizing the risk and the glories of the message. If you wanna look again at verse 21, you will notice the teachings of the kingdom of God is for all people, Jews and Greeks. God's kingdom is diverse. It's full of people, people who come from different parts of the world who speak different languages. If a person has a soul and believes in the substance of the message, then a Bolivian has more in common with an American than a person's blood relatives. And then what is the substance? We read it's repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Faith. If someone were to ask me, "Hey, Pastor Sean, can you sum up for me the message of the kingdom of God?" right? We've been going through Acts and someone's like, "Just just sum it up. Give me the give me the one sentence takeaway. What is it?" Here it is. Repent of your sin and turn to God with faith in Jesus Christ. That is the message of the kingdom of God. It is interesting to me that the substance can be so simple and yet so transformative. Repentance and faith. Turn from sin, then throw yourself upon the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ by faith. For a moment, let me separately tackle repentance and faith. You don't find uh, let me say it differently it's not popular although very profitable but it's not popular for churches to talk about repentance from sin anymore it, it just isn't but it's one of the dominant messages about the kingdom of God what did our Lord say at the beginning of his ministry, right? Think um, Matthew 3. Jesus is baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist and then we transition to when Jesus is tempted by the devil. And this is, we're just getting into his ministry and the first thing he says in his ministry are these words from John four seventeen: Repent. I mean, he could have said a lot of things and he did say a lot of things, but his first word to begin his ministry is repent. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Wow. And what did Peter preach at Pentecost? Same message preached by Jesus. Acts two thirty-eight. First word: repent. And be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If the church is not preaching repentance if it's not preaching repentance it is not telling its folks about the message of the kingdom of god it's not preaching the gospel the other part of the message in acts 2021 20, is faith in jesus christ now let's look at this spectacular connection Remember, Paul is in Ephesus telling the leaders to preach saving faith in Jesus Christ. And what book of the Bible provides us with one of the most succinct and memorable passages about faith? Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Here's a taste of what Paul says about faith in Ephesians 2. Many of you know this for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing it is a gift from god and of god not a result of works so that no one may boast there is not a thing a person can can do to obtain faith through works but but faith is given as a gracious gift from God. The message of the kingdom of God is not morality. That's not the substance of the message. Although a heart full of faith lives differently than a heart that is dead with no faith. The message of the kingdom of God is not material prosperity. The message of the kingdom of God is the opposite, being willing to forsake all possessions for the kingdom. The message of the kingdom of God is not get saved and then live your life however you want to live your life. Antinomianism is a perverse teaching about the kingdom of God. The message of the kingdom of God is not be a good person and then hopefully at the end of your life as you look at the scale you've done more good things than you've done bad things in your life. The message of the kingdom of God is repent, turn to God, and have faith in Jesus Christ. The substance of this teaching changes lives. Paul continues to accent the substance of the message of the kingdom of God in verse 27 where Paul states, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I think a better translation of this is, Paul declared the entire plan or purpose of God. Meaning, from Genesis 1-1 onward, the Ephesian church is looking at the unfolding plan of God to save sinners. From Genesis 1-1 onward, Paul is teaching about the faithfulness of God to save a faithless and rebellious people. God is showing, and this is coming out in his letters, Paul is showing, that is only through repentance and faith in the substitutionary and atoning death of Jesus Christ that a person can be made right in front of a holy and just God. The entire purpose and plan of God is given to us in the scriptures in the Bible. So it should not be a shock when a person comes into this church that they will see our eyes in front of this book. Because It is in the Bible where we read about God's purpose and plan. So like Paul is there teaching the Ephesian elders from the Old Testament saying, you want to know what God's plan and purpose is? Go read. Therefore, elders, verse 17, who are also overseers of God's flock, the church, verse 28, need to be teaching the Bible. I've said this before and I'll say it again. If a a, A person visits this church, and they're like, "Ah, it's just not the right fit. And I'm, hey, that's cool. I mean, I I get it. It, There's a lot of different kinds of churches, a lot of different kinds of good churches out there. But I always say, go to a place that is preaching from the Bible and where you're hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't go to a place that's telling you cute stories. Go to a place that teaches the Bible so you will hear the entire counsel of God's word. You'll hear about his plan and his purposes. Preaching and teaching, the entire purpose and plan of God means teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ through the Holy Scriptures. It is this message Paul did not shrink back from. It is this message Paul pleaded with the Ephesian elders to continue to preach after he departs. It is this message I'll continue to preach and you will continue to hear at Redemption Hill Church. So as we've seen throughout the book of Acts and in today's passage, it is the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ that is even worth dying for. Like Paul says that in Philippians. (laughs) So if an elder or overseer does not believe It is worth dying for the gospel of jesus christ that he probably shouldn't be an elder and he definitely should not be preaching that's how weighty this is and significant the message of the gospels you got to be worth dying for it and again he's talking to ephesian elders but that definitely applies to all christians in verse 28 kind of working on our third heading now the practical mission of the church paul makes a slight pivot from reminding the Ephesians about the essentials of the kingdom of God to providing a warning and then a picture of what it looks like to be a part of God's mission in the local church. Again, these words are for the elders, but members of a local church should take note. Let's first look at the warning and then we're going to look at the practical ministry of the kingdom, of a kingdom church. We read these sobering words for elders in verse 28. It says, pay careful attention to yourselves. That is interesting. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So let's get this straight. A pastor is supposed to take care of himself, take care of the flock, but he needs to take care ...of the church which God obtained with his own blood. God obtained you with his own blood. We read that a pastor must care for his own soul. He must maintain sound doctrine, for example. He must continually be pursuing Jesus. Elders or pastors are not perfect, for sure... (laughs) They set an example. Elders do need to care for the souls of those following Christ, right? So, as a as an elder or pastor follows Christ, he wants to help others follow Christ, so that they can adequately um, look to Jesus and walk in life as disciples. I think part of the caveat for pastors to care for themselves is because of verse twenty nine. In verse twenty nine. Paul speaks aloud what many do not want to admit. There are wolves who want to eat sheep. Wolves can come from the inside as well as the outside of a local church. Like that is quite the picture. Like I I am in a sense, in another sense, a shepherd of a flock of birds at our house, right? Right? And uh, if you've ever ever been to our house, we got like the chicken coop and then attached to the chicken coops, the chicken run. And just about every single night, I I go outside and, and the remaining birds I try to shove into the chicken coop. Why? I don't want them to get eaten by coyotes or mink or raccoons. Where the birds realize it are not, my job is to protect them and keep them alive by getting them in, into what I call the Fort, Fort Knox of chicken coops. They'll be safe inside there. You say in the chicken run, you might die. Now all analogies break down at some point, I get that. But you see how Paul is drawing upon nature to compare the role of a shepherd overseeing sheep. Wolves want to eat the sheep. Wolves want to divide the flock so that it's weaker through numbers. Wolves will do anything it can just to pick off one sheep. But the shepherd comes in with the rod and beats back the sheep. Think about Psalm 23. In what way do wolves try to devour the sheep? What does it say here? Through words. Through men speaking twisted things. This is done through what we call false doctrine or false teaching, right? Basically not teaching about the kingdom of God, but against the kingdom of God. It's basically perverting the true teachings of the kingdom of God. So they're teaching by using words. Words can also be used to create division in the church through spreading lies, in particular lies about individual people. We call this gossip and slander. The Bible calls it gossip and slander. So words matter. One of the most powerful weapons a person can utilize is its words. It's no wonder that social media, for example, is such a toxic environment. You have a bunch of people who are part of a keyboard warrior society using words to disparage other people. As your pastor, I'm called by God to protect you from wolves to the best of my ability. Wolves who want to speak ill of God's church. So the kingdom of God, as we see here the local church that is working in the context of the kingdom of God is met with opposition, especially if it is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now here's the last point from this message after giving the warning about wolves, Paul ends by saying to the Ephesian elders, it is more blessed to give than receive. Verse 35, it's more blessed to give than receive. Paul says these are the actual words spoken by Christ. Paul uses his own life as an example of what it looks like to be More focused on giving to others than receiving from others. Contrast what Paul says in verse 35 with the metaphor of wolves. Wolves want to tear down and tear apart. The church, through putting the needs of others before itself, care for and build up others. Wolves want disunity in the church. Jesus wants unity through self-sacrifice. Wolves want to take. The church wants to give Wolves pepper their words with lies. The words of the church is laced with truth spoken with love. So within the context of the kingdom of God, we see the importance of the local church. We also see what the local church teaches. And finally, we see how the local church functions. We want to be giving away. We don't want to be taking. We're like, here, here you go. How can I help? How do we give away everything we got instead of being all about receiving? As I conclude, I want to uh, hopefully definitively explain why Paul cried over the Ephesian church. Back to the tears for a moment. The reason Paul pleaded and cried over the Ephesian church is because he wanted them to withstand the opposition in persecution. Paul pleaded and cried for them to be faithful to the message of the gospel. A message of repentance and faith which is a message of hope and reconciliation with their maker. Paul pleaded and cried that the church would be different from the culture by loving the culture in a radical, self-sacrificial way. I mean, if I'm... If I'm in that time receiving those words from Paul, I'd be like, whoa, don't you know that Nero is currently on the throne persecuting Christians everywhere? What a radical message. And it's a message that we're called to carry on. You know, and while I might not cry in this moment, um, as Paul did, I do plead with you, Redemption Hill Church, to withstand persecution and opposition by clinging to Jesus. Opposition or persecution could be just, you know, might, might think of culture wars, but you know what? Actually, where it begins, the opposition and begins right in your heart, right here, fighting against sin. Pursuing holiness because that is what God has called us to do. And we do that by clinging to Jesus, clinging to the truth. I plead you to live a life of repentance and faith while knowing that your sins, past, present, and future have been forgiven by your merciful God. I plead with you to place Jesus as your highest priority in life. If Jesus is not your highest priority at this moment in your life, do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes. I don't care how radical it looks. Do whatever it takes to make Jesus your top priority. Finally, I plead with you to love in radical ways by living self-sacrificial lives. Count others more significant than yourself for the sake of the gospel. In doing so, in doing so, think about a broken people all around you will look in and wonder and perhaps ask, what is the hope that is within you? Why do you live such a way? Why do you, why do you give so much away? Why do you live so self-sacrificially for others? Why do you do things for others, even when it's your enemy? Why? Because of Jesus. Because we are about the advancement of the kingdom of God in this local church. Not our kingdoms and certainly not the kingdoms that we see and read about and watch in the world. We are about the kingdom of God. A kingdom where Jesus sits upon the throne. And is a kingdom that one day Jesus will come back and claim in totality by putting away sin and death once and for all and for good. It's that kingdom that we currently, we live in this already-not-yet tension, but as we live in this already, we look forward to the not-yet when Jesus comes back and redeems. Let's pray. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.